Well, hello, family. Hey, my name is Eddie. I'm one of the associate pastors here. And it is a privilege to be with you tonight. I'm so glad to see your faces, mostly see your faces, kind of also see blind light. But we're good. It's going to be fun. I'll adjust. Well, um, I have, I've got an iPhone, and before, I'm, I'm trying, not trying to incite any sort of riots. If you're an Android, port, Android person, that's, that's okay, too. Um, if you use something besides an Android or iPhone device, I'm kind of curious. But, um, yeah, so I have an iPhone. It's, it's, I like it. It's good technology. You can make phone calls sometimes. You can text people near, nearly instantaneously, right? There was a time... I don't see very many young people, so we are all aware of the time when instantaneous communication was not a thing, and, and you had to actually just wonder what was going on with people. Um, you, you were hoping that things happened, and you'd find out when they came home, right? But, but we, we have this kind of technology, and I can text, I can look up how many gallons of water are in the Atlantic Ocean, I can take pictures that tell you and me more about uh, the surface of my skin than an anatomy, an anatomy book. An anatomy book. Um, I can do some amazing things with this device, right? Um, and yet, do you know how many times I have found myself really frustrated with it? I mean, I'm, I'm at home and I'm, I'm holding this work of art in my hand and I lose my signal and just, what is going on? I was in an an important phone call. I'd been on the phone with Verizon for I don't know how long, and now I have to wait for uh, on hold for like four hours before I can be on the phone again. I mean, we can very easily uh, become desensitized to the fact that this is really a, a neat piece of technology. It's it's got more computing power than some rooms worth of computing power in the '80s, right? And and, and it, yet we're asking questions like, why can't I just make a decent phone call? You know, why every time when I'm driving down 7 between Claiborne and Belmont Ridge do I just lose connection? Why? Why can't I get on the Wi-Fi? And now, that's kind of silly, but, but the reality is there's something about familiarity that, that breeds um, numbness in us when it comes to amazing things. Right? There's something about proximity, being close to something for long periods of time, that makes us numb to those amazing things around us. And, and the reality is, unfortunately, this can be true of our relationship with God, right? We can be reading our Bibles, we can be praying every day, you know, you're going through your daily bread, you're uh, going to church, you know, you're all here, great, good job, double check marks. Um, we attend our small groups, and all the while, in our heart, it, it's, it's shriveling up, it's becoming smaller, and we're losing sight of the greatness of God. And so tonight, I just want to freshly consider the greatness of God. So go with me in your Bibles to Psalm 145. I love the fact that, that Ashley was in Psalm 103. I'm also glad, glad that she didn't do Psalm 145, because then my sermon would have been much shorter. Um, let's go ahead and read. Read with me. We're going to do all 21 verses. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I bless you, and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation, generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and your wondrous works I will meditate. 
They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is faithful to all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of the Lord the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him and he hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Father God, as we consider your greatness, I pray that you would stir something in our own hearts, that you would draw this close, this reality close to us, that it would not be a reality that's far off that it's not a reality that's, that's just uh, academic in nature, but that something about the greatness of God expressed in this psalm would touch our hearts in such a way that praise would rise up. That this would incite in us the kind of worship that comes when we see something that is breathtaking. Lord God, meet us right now as we study your word. Amen. Now, this is one of the, the psalms get, that can be characterized as a, as a hymn of praise, which is no surprise to anyone in this room. It makes a lot of sense. And, and you can read this and kind of think to yourself, man, David is, he's really chipper today, right? He, you're thinking, okay, you've, you've had some good days and bad days, but you're, you're on it today. You've, you've had your quiet time, David, and you've, you've made it through your prayer list. You know, you've done all the right things in the kingdom. Everyone's basically kind of happy with you. Right? And not only that, but you're jamming a hill song on your way to work. You're having a good day. And he spends 21 verses recounting the greatness of God. And in fact, uh, this, this text is what's called an acrostic. So you, you did this all the time as a kid where you had a word uh, uh, vertically and then different things horizontally like uh, happiness and then H's for having candy, whatever. And that was an acrostic, right? Well, this is an acrostic from A to Z in Hebrew. So it's not A to Z, it's alf, uh, Aleph to whatever the end is. Um, ask Pastor Duke at the end. Uh, but it's, it's A to Z. And basically what he's saying is from A to Z, God is great. And so I wanted just to consider God's greatness as, as we look through this text. So look with me, and I'm gonna go as quickly as I can. I know it was 21 verses, but, but we're, gonna, we're gonna be going fast. So stick with me. So let's look at verses one through three. I will extol you. In other words, I will exuberantly praise you, 
my God and King, right? This is, this is hands up, eyes closed, uh, loud, singing in the car type worship. This is not the singing here where people can hear you, but it's singing in the car when no one else is around you. You got, you know, all your bases are covered and you're like, God, you're awesome and I'm a great singer, right? This is the kind of worship that is meant by extol. It's, it's exuberant praise, right? We know about David in, in uh, I think it's uh, 1 Samuel 6, or maybe it's 2 Samuel 6, I don't know. Ask Pastor Duke afterwards. Um, uh, or look at it during, don't look at it during sermons. Pay attention. Um, but he's, he's worships God to such a degree that he's dancing around and he's, he's being exuberant. That's the kind of worship that we're thinking about, right? And he says, my God and king, Right? He immediately points out, out that the God that he's worshiping is the ultimate in authority. There's none above him. His greatness is supreme. I love the fact that we were talking about the sovereign uh, rule of God earlier. Right? There's, there's God and there's no one else. The buck stops with him. He is king. His greatness is so vast, so extensive, that, he, that, that David says this in verse 3. His greatness is unsearchable. And in the Hebrew, that just means that the great, it's, you can't search it. It's too great, right? It's not complicated, you know? Um, how great are the Redskins? Now, I'm not trying to start a fight, uh, but we can count. Three Super Bowls, right? Whether you like it or not, three Super Bowls. Maybe four this year, who knows, whatever. Um, how, how great is Michael Phelps? 23 gold medals. And some silvers and gold, uh, bronze, but nobody cares. Um, how great is Leonardo da Vinci, right? He's done a ton of stuff, but, but Mona Lisa, right? As an example of his greatness. Worldly greatness, we can, we can measure it. We can, we can put it in a box. We can categorize it. We can say, this is how great this is, right? We have metrics to describe that. That's how business works. How great is your business? Let's value it. Let's find out how much it's worth. God's greatness is unsearchable. It's unsearchable. There's no amount of counting that would, that would bring you to the point where you say, yes, that describes it, that much. There's always plus one more. But though it's unsearchable, it's not indescribable. And in fact, um, David goes on in three sections, and we're going to look at these three sections to describe several aspects of God's greatness. We see God's greatness in his works, in his kingdom, and in his providence. His works, his kingdom, and his providence. First, let's look at the works, verses four through seven. One generation shall commend your works to another, right? They had a youth group, and the youth group was preaching to the kids, and the kids were preaching to the babies. Um, and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty. Right? He's using all these superlative words to just describe how awesome, how bright, how shining, how magnificent is his majesty. And on your wondrous works, I will meditate. Right? I'm going to think about, I'm going to consider, I'm going to mull over all of the mighty things you've done. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Here, David mentions God's great works, right? He talks about his mighty acts, the wondrous works, awesome deeds, abundant goodness, right? All of these different ways of describing that God is great in his works. And anyone who was reading this or listening to this at the time would have known exactly what he's talking about, right? They would have been familiar with the Old Testament. They would have been familiar with, in the beginning, God, right? Creating everything out of nothing, 
right? He's saying words and, and lights are showing up. Stars are being formed. The earth is being formed. The sun and the moon, uh, the, the, the waters are being drawn together. Land is coming together. All of this is happening by the word of God's power, right? His great work, right? And we see uh, God establishing his rule on earth through Adam and Eve. God shows his, his holiness and his mercy, Right, the greatness of his, his holiness and his mercy in the story of Noah and the flood. Right, He's merciful to this man, Noah, and his family, and he expresses his, his justice and his righteousness through that generation, bringing, bringing judgment. And then through Abraham, Isaac, Isaac, and Jacob, we see God establishing a people who reflect his greatness in the world. Right, He's, he's gathering a, a people together to represent him in the world, to be Reflectors to be mirrors of his glory in the nations, right? Abraham was called to be a father of many nations. He was called to bless families. And all of this was happening so that God's greatness, this work of greatness might be established. And in Exodus, we see God powerfully defeating the enemies of his people, saving them from slavery, right? This would have been key in, in them hearing God's mighty works, right? The, the parting of the Red Sea, uh, the, the parting of the Jordan, the parting, uh, the, the, the manna that fell from heaven, all of the things that, that the Israelites went through, Moses and the people witnessing God's greatness in, in his provision and care for them despite their stubbornness. In, in this moment, David's not saying anything new, right? He's, he's not saying anything novel or unique. He's just recounting what is true of God, that he is a God of great works. He's drawing attention to the great works. And David, being himself a king, he, he is intimately aware of the fact of God's kingship. And so he, he talks a bit about God as the ultimate sovereign ruler. And he reflects on his kingdom in verses 10 through 13. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. Right? Saints, in this case, are God's citizens. Right? They're in the kingdom of God. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known, they'll do these things, they'll speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power in order to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and your glorious splendor in your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout every generation. David speaks of the glory of God's kingdom and refers to his power. Right? He, for, he talks about God's saints, the members of his kingdom, that they'll testify to God's glorious kingdom so that everyone can know about this kingdom. Not, not this kingdom of this man or this kingdom of that man, but God's kingdom established on earth by God. It's an impressive kingdom, a powerful one. Let me tell you, evangelism is nothing new. That's, that's all that, that, that David is doing right here. He's saying, we're members, we're saints, we're part of this kingdom, and we're gonna tell everyone about it. We're going to tell everyone about the glory of your kingdom, your power. We're going to make known to my neighbor, who is a child of man, your mighty deeds and your glorious splendor of this kingdom, right? And because God's kingdom is a great kingdom, it's a kingdom of great providence. Let's look at verses 14 through 20. We're pounding through this. We're doing it. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hands, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. 
The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him and he hears their cry and saves them. Praise God. The Lord preserves all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. Here David tells us that God the king cares for his people. He upholds those who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. Has your week been a falling week? Has your week been um, a bowed down week, right? You, you end your day like this and you're just like, I'm just going to fall into bed, either physically or, or emotionally. You're, maybe you're, you're in great physical health, but you're just like emotionally and you need a God who's going to catch you. You need a God who's going to pick you up, right? This is our God. This is the kind of provision he provides, right? God cares for the needs of the, his people, giving them food in due season, right? Are you in this room right now and you're thinking, how am I going to make ends meet? You're smiling at everyone else, but you're freaking out on the inside, right? This is a God who's going to, he opens his hand to provide. He's not holding it. Wait, you know, he's not doing that. He's not tapping his foot. He's a God who cares for his people. His hand is open to provide. David says that God is righteous, right? He cares about justice. He cares about justice. Hear that as Americans. He cares about justice. I'll leave it at that. He's kind. He's near to those who call on him. He, pers- he, he preserves and saves those who love him. God is a king who provides for his people. Now, this is a great king with great works and a great kingdom and great promises of provision. But for many of us in this room, what this can be is like my iPhone Right? In my circumstances, in your circumstances, in my life right now, where I live, God's greatness is just unimpressive. It's external. It's out there. Right? You're coming and you're listening to me and you're saying, that's great, Pastor Eddie, but I, that doesn't intersect with my life. That has nothing to do with where I am right now. That has nothing to do with, what does God's greatness have to do with my marriage problems? What does God's greatness have to do with my family problems? What does God's greatness have to do with my job issues, my brokenness, my past? What does it have to do with me? How does God's greatness intersect with the chaos in your life? Look at verses eight and nine. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he's made. In the book of Exodus, we hear these same words that David has written in verse 8. I'll give you the rundown, the context. Moses has received the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. While he was on the mount, the Israelites have constructed a golden calf and begun worshiping. God tells Moses what's happened, that he's going to judge the people for their idolatry, but Moses intercedes. He saves them. He then goes to the Israelites, and in anger, because he's so broken up about the fact that these tablets that have just been given to him have already been broken, he literally breaks them, symbolically expressing what they've done, 
and judgment and death fall on the people, although God does relent. And in the aftermath, we read this in chapter 33. This is Exodus 33, verses 18 and following. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make my goodness pass before you. This is God talking. I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. Skipping down to verse, chapter 34, um, verses five and six. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And he goes on. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. When God promised to proclaim his name to Moses, the thing that would encapsulate his greatness He says these words, the Lord, the Lord, gracious, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And that name Lord, right, in in your Bibles, most Bibles is all uppercase, that that signifies this term Yahweh or Jehovah, depending on what trans, uh, what, what, uh, where you're coming from. But it's this name that Moses, that God gave to Moses when Moses asked, who am I going to say sent me? And, and God says, say Yahweh has sent you. And the word, it kind of means I am who I am. But it's not just I am who I am in in my own consistency, though God is consistent with himself. It's I am who I am for your sake. I am a faithful God. I'm faithful to my character. And because you're my people, I'm faithful to you. I am who I am for you. So listen to this phrase. The Lord, the Lord, I am who I am for you. I am who I am for you. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He's the covenant God. He's a God whose covenant means he's, he's brought us in relationship, not just like a I'm dating you type relationship, but marriage relationship, unbreakable bonds type relationship, covenant relationship God who is merciful, who is gracious, who is slow to anger, who abounds in the kind of love that never leaves, faithful, steadfast love. Here in Psalm 145, we see the greatness of God on display. We're reminded of his great works, of, of the kingdom that he's building, of his incomparable providence, Right? But God's greatness doesn't happen in a vacuum. This is not some mythical um, Zeus-type greatness where it's just disconnected from any real relationship to the people that he interacts with. God's greatness is tied to his people, right? God is great for you. Not like God's, like, this is, a, this is good candy for you. But his greatness, it, it, it's, it's, in, it's disposed toward you. It's facing you, right? God is great in your direction, right? His greatness doesn't just sit out there in the world. It enters into your world, into your mess and my mess. God says, I want to be merciful and gracious for you. I'm slow to anger and have more love than than your existence can contain. This God who is gracious and merciful showed his 
abounding love, ultimately by sending his son to be king incarnate. Right? Jesus came as king. Right? This, this, is, this is a promise. Psalm 41 is a bit of a, of a, of a promise of, a, of, of Christ coming as king. Right? By living a perfect life and dying a death on our, in our place for our sins, Jesus establishes God's kingdom on earth. He's the ultimate provision for you and me. This psalm, it's a psalm of praise, but it's not just a psalm of praise because he's saying, God is great, this is amazing. You know, we can go see some amazing architecture in, in D.C. We can see some amazing um, landscapes out west. We can see some things that will, will cause us to, to fall in awe, but, but this kind of greatness that, that David's talking about is greatness that's directed toward you. And he invites you not just to observe it or witness it, but he wants you to experience it. Let's pray. Father God, you are a great God. You're a God of great works. You're a God of a great kingdom that you're establishing here on earth through your son Jesus Christ and your Holy Spirit. You're a God who provides for our many needs, our deepest needs, our need for love, our need for redemption, our need for health, our need for life. And God, we need you. I pray that, that we would see your greatness not as something that's in a vacuum or, or in a story, but that, that it's something that would enter into the unique circumstances of our own lives and it would transform the way we look at things. It would, it would cause faith and praise to bubble up. If you're in this room and, and you need God's greatness to intersect your life, the good news is that Jesus Christ died to make that happen. God became man, the man who would establish God's kingdom. He lived a perfect life we should have lived, died the death that we deserve so that we might, by faith in him, be invited into that kingdom, taken out of the kingdom of darkness, established in the kingdom of God's beloved son, and we might live eternally in that kingdom with this great God. And the way that that happens is by recognizing your sin and your need for his provision and by responding in faith and repentance. If that's you, if you're saying, I want to trust this God and experience his greatness, I want it to intersect my life, just raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. It's good. Once your hand's up, you can put it back down. Just pray this with me. God, I want to experience the greatness that you have. I recognize my need for a savior. And like the scripture says, I've fallen and I need to be lifted up. I pray that you would forgive my sin. I confess and repent of it. I turn away from it and I ask you to forgive me and accept me into your kingdom. I thank you for, for accepting me and receiving me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you, if you prayed that prayer, we have a gift for you. It's just a, a little way of, of saying this is what you need to do. This is some next steps. It's a Bible and some notes. Um, so come down to the altar after the service and grab one of these.
uh, and talk with, you can talk with one of our altar ministers. Um, I'm going to hand it over to Stephen. Stephen.